Our next speaker is Norman Doe. Um, Norman is a self-confessed maths geek. He studied at Melbourne Uni, then worked at McGill University and is now a lecturer at Monash University. He likes maths, food, television, music, indoor soccer, things that look like one thing but are actually another thing. You may have seen him on the hit television game show Letters and Numbers, and that's he's a bit of a rock star, really. So um, please join me in welcoming Norman to the stage. Hi, everybody. Imagine you're walking down the street, Fitzroy Street, and you start asking people, who's your favourite mathematician? What sort of answers do you get? <laughs> Not very many, as I found out. <laughs> but suppose you come up against someone who's pretty clued up about the history of mathematics, and they start saying names like Pythagoras, Archimedes, Newton, Euler, Gauss. Well, that's what you come to expect. But what if you were stuck in a room full of pure mathematicians this is that rare breed of scientist, like myself, who studies mathematics for its intrinsic beauty, for its intrinsic structure. Then what do you hear them say when you ask them for their favourite mathematician? You hear the same thing over and over again. The name Everest Galois. It's a pretty, uh, pretty suitable name, I might add, since Everest did end up scaling the heights of mathematics. Everest Galois, who I would call the mathematician's mathematician. <laughs> to understand Galois, you have to know when he lived and where he lived. He was born in 1811, early 19th century, in the outskirts of Paris. Now, this was just after the French Revolution, but as we all know, the French never did stop revolting. <laughs> Actually, if you want to get a good picture for uh, when he lived, just think about Les Mis. It was exactly the same period, the same time, the same place as the musical book slash film. With just a little bit less singing, or whatever it is Russell Crowe was doing. <laughs> so it was in this tumultuous part of space-time that Galois was born. And he led a pretty uneventful life for most of it. At the age, up until the age of 12, he was homeschooled by his mum. Probably not great for his social development. <laughs> Didn't matter too much because he wanted to become a mathematician. <laughs> but at the age of 12, he entered school. Quite a good school, actually, in Paris. And he started to do quite well. He was pretty cluey. Until the age of 15. And for some reason, he decided that school was boring. Now... This is not unusual for a teenager, as we all know. But he didn't just go to his room and listen to his iPod. He didn't go to his room and just uh, jump on the internet. He didn't dye his hair. He turned to mathematics. He loved maths, and not just any maths, not just school maths. He started reading research papers at the age of 15, and that's pretty impressive. But it was when he discovered mathematics that his life started to go downhill. Very, very downhill. So, he decided, he was pretty good at maths, he knew it. We all know it. And he decided to try and get into the Ecole Polytechnique. 
This is the premier institution for mathematics in France. You could say the Monash University of France. <laughs> but unfortunately, when he turned up to the oral exam, he decided he didn't have to prepare. And having been self-taught in mathematics, he spoke mathematics with an accent that nobody could understand. <laughs> and consequently was failed. He didn't get in. So what did he do instead? Well, he decided to, um, well, I mean, what do you do? What do you do when you don't get into the Monash University of France? <laughs> then you turn to the, 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 <laughs> the Ecole Normale in Paris, which but it's quite a good place now, but back then was a far inferior institution. And, you know, there weren't many mathematicians there, but he's decided to, uh, to cut his own path through mathematics. And in fact, he discovered quite a lot in this time. He started making groundbreaking discoveries in mathematics, and he wrote these up in two papers, sent them off. Sent them off to the Academy of Sciences to be published. Now, this was a group of scientists and mathematicians at the top of their game. These are the people who make or break the careers of young scientists. And in fact, his paper, thankfully, ended up with Cauchy, who was at, at the time one of the greatest mathematicians and could understand Galois' groundbreaking work. So, Cauchy called a meeting of the Academy and was going to present Galois' work. And on the day, he chucked a sickie. He didn't turn up. But that's okay, he rescheduled. Two weeks later, let's do the meeting then, fine. But by then, he discovered something pretty cool on his own. Turned up and just spoke about his stuff. Didn't mention Galois once. This was the start of uh, some terrible misfortune for the uh, young Galois. So what does Galois do? Well, you dust yourself up and try and get back on that horse. He went back to the Ecole Polytechnique and tried to get in again. This time, he was better prepared. This time, he'd done his work. He'd even proved new results in mathematics. What could go wrong? So he turns up to the exam, and there are two examiners, and they start asking some boring, routine questions. Now, Galois thinks, I'm better than this, and he gets frustrated to the extent that he, as the story goes, throws the blackboard eraser at the examiner's head. <laughs> Did he pass? Of course he didn't. This was probably uh, compounded by the fact that his father had just committed suicide days earlier. He led a rather sad life. So what do you do now? He's stuck at the Ecole Normale, can't get into the Monash University of Paris, and he decides, well, the Academy of Science, okay, screw Cauchy, I'm gonna submit my paper for the grand prize, the Grand Prix of mathematics. This would make his career. So he submits it, and it ends up in the hands of Fourier, a great mathematician. And Fourier was obviously interested. We know he picked up the manuscript. He took it home to read. The only thing Fourier didn't do was keep on living. He died. <laughs> and the manuscript was lost forever. At this stage, uh, Galois was losing hope. But there was one glimmer of light. Another ma mathematician, a famous guy, Poisson, emailed... Sorry. Emailed, wrote, 
wrote to Galloway and said, third time lucky man, get it in. So he sent it off and, uh, well, we'll see what happened. Meanwhile, in the real world, what's going on in France? Revolution, social upheaval, the Bourbon regime. Not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> Galois was nothing if not passionate, not just about mathematics, but about politics as well and life. And as we'll see later, women or woman. He, he was a staunch Republican. And when I say staunch, I mean majorly staunch. He was well in there. And uh, while all the other students were revolting in the streets, he, he wanted to do the same. But the director of the Ecole Normale locked the gates, didn't let Galois out. And so what does Galois do? He writes a blistering letter, basically calling the director a dick. <laughs> and what happens? He gets expelled, as you can imagine. Without a home, without an academic home, he turns to the National Guard. Now, this is a pro-Republican militia. They have a big party one day and Galois rocks up. I think he gets a bit wasted as the story goes and decides to make a toast. Don't do that when you're wasted. It's just a general rule, we all know it. But he does and he decides to threaten the life of the then king, Louis Philippe. Of course, he was arrested. Fortunately, he had a good lawyer, got him out of jail. One month later, Galois decides, I'm gonna walk down the street wearing the uniform of the National Guard, which had been banned, carrying a loaded rifle, several pistols and a dagger. He was arrested once again, as you can imagine, and this time ended up in jail for nine months. You can sort of see a theme running through Galois' life. He wasn't very lucky, and he may have been good at maths, but uh, yeah, he really did annoy a lot of people. <laughs> when he was in jail, though, one thing that happened, he did get, uh, he did hear back from Poisson. Third time lucky, he thought. Poisson wrote back to Galois, rejecting his manuscript, writing, Galois' argument is neither sufficiently clear nor sufficiently developed to allow us to judge its rigour. What that means, anyone who's refereed a paper would know it means, I don't understand this shit. <laughs> Prison was tough on Galois. I mean, he tried to commit suicide at one stage by stabbing himself with a dagger and was just fortunate enough that uh, some other prison inmates managed to stop him. If there was one silver lining to his time in prison, it was the fact that he could think about mathematics, essentially uninterrupted. So, okay, I might, it'd be remiss of me not to say a couple of words about Galois' mathematics. He was really the founder of the study of symmetry in mathematics. What is symmetry, you might ask? Symmetry is what I can do when your back is turned so that you don't know I've done it. Take this wine glass, for instance. If you turn around, don't have to do it, and I gently twist this wine glass, say 180 degrees, you don't know the difference. That's called a symmetry. If you turn around and I scold the whole thing, which I'm not going to do, that's not a symmetry. Because you'll know I've done it. Galler applied this to equations. What's an equation? It's a puzzle. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my number, you tell me the number. I double my number, it's four. What's my number? It's two. I square my number and I get nine. What's my number? Oh. We do have some smart asses in the audience. My number could be three. Actually, it was three. But it could be minus three. And Galois thought, that's sort of like a symmetry. 
Here's some sort of switch. If you swap 3 and minus 3, they both still work in my equation. And what he discovered, one thing that was very, a foreign concept to everybody up till then, was that there are certain equations that you cannot solve. And the way he proved this was to explore symmetry. If you'd like to know more, you can turn up to my uh, lectures. They're on <laughs> Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at uh, Monash University. I think I've mentioned that place before. Okay, so just a very, very quick recap. Where are we at? He's um, tried for the Ecole Polytechnic, the major institution, rejected both times. Ended up at the Ecole Normale, expelled. Tried to submit his work to the Academy of Sciences three times, rejected every time. Twice arrested, nine months in prison, and that's where we find him right now, in prison. So it turns out, at that tender age of 20, he gets out of prison. And things start to look a little bit up. He meets a girl. And, and he quite likes her, actually. Um, actually, this is the start of a very, very bad and short phase of uh, Galois' life. <laughs> this girl, by the way, was quite young. 16 years of age. Galois was 20. As good as he was with equations. As much as he loved numbers, he did not know the half n plus seven rule. <laughs> and that was his downfall. <laughs> this is where history gets a little bit murky. For some reason, we're not sure about, but certainly has to do with this young 16-year-old. One of Galois' friends, another revolutionary Republican, challenges Galois to a duel. The story goes that basically Galois said something mean to her one day, but that's how it was back then. So it was going to be pistols at dawn from 25 paces. Galois has a night to prepare for the duel. He doesn't shoot very well. He's a mathematician, you know. He, theoretically, he probably could. But the pra practicality of it is beyond him. He knows he's up against someone who actually wields a mean gun. But instead of going home to practice his shooting, he goes home and writes mathematics. He takes out his work and he annotates it. He writes down all these theorems and ideas in his head. He's, he scrawls furiously throughout the night. Somewhere in the margin, he famously writes, je n'ai pas le temps, I don't have the time. And it turns out he doesn't. He turns up the next morning at dawn, gets shot in the stomach, and dies the next day. You've got to wonder, if he hadn't stayed up all night, would he have fared better? <laughs> Actually, it turns out not. A newspaper article a couple of days later states very clearly that because Galois was challenged by a friend to this duel, they didn't want to leave it down to skill, but they left it to luck. They only loaded one of the two pistols. As you can see once again, Lady Luck was not on Galois' side. So it wasn't until about 15 years after his death that Galois' work was published. He never saw it. He was, no one really knew about him in his day and age. It wasn't until the... Uh, and currently, his work, the mathematics of symmetry underlies well, a lot of mathematics, but also a lot of physics, chemistry, and the other sciences. We use it 
It's, it's part of the uh, armory of any pure mathematician. And uh, the early 20th century mathematician Hermann Weyl wrote this, the letter, the letter that Galois wrote the night that he died, if judged by the novelty and profundity of ideas it contains, is perhaps the most substantial piece of writing in the whole literature of mankind. And I'm inclined to agree. Thanks.